joining us today. We hope that you receive a blessing from this program. We hope that you will join us in person this Sunday at 9.30 for Sunday school and 10.35 for the service. We promise you will receive a warm welcome. For more information or to watch our services live, please go to gpindy.net. Now, let's join the service already in progress. When the trumpet of the Lord shall sound and time shall be no more, when the morning breaks eternal right and fair, when the saints of earth shall gather over on the other shore, and the roll is called and yonder I'll be there. We thank you, Lord, that nothing has ever occurred to you. You know what's going on in Afghanistan and the Gulf Coast. And, Lord, we trust you. We trust you with our lives and with our eternal souls. Thank you for this offering, Lord. May it be used to bring others to the knowledge of the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. We love you and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.
scarlet thread woven in my life only thing I find that's holding me your crimson flood poured out on my life the only thing I find that covers me Every day, new reasons that I can say I am weak, but you are able. I have failed, but you are faithful. Jesus, you are holding on to me far beyond regret and sorrow. Every sin is washed and I know Jesus you are holding on to me There'll be hands beating in my life The only thing I find that's holding me Precious blood poured out on my life. The only thing I find that covers me.
wonderful to come to a service like this and sing a song or lift up the Lord and you just feel his presence so near and I know um, I think that it's so important and I want to sing that song a little chorus I want you to sing it with us called he is here hallelujah he is here hallelujah he
this morning, the Word and the Holy Spirit being in us. Uh, I think it's so important. You know, it's real interesting how you, you learn a truth, and then you begin to go by that truth, and then when you're with people, it seems like they take it to the extreme. And then you end up over there, and then you realize, well, wait a minute, that's not right. <laughs> so you back off a little bit, and you settle in. Uh, you do that with legalism. You know, when we first uh, started uh, Emmanuel years ago, uh, there was legalism. I was legalistic. That's what I was saved under. That's where I went to school. And so that's automatic. And so you go to the extreme a little bit because it sort of makes you think like you're holy or something uh, or more spiritual. And uh, you begin to realize, what does the Bible say? <laughs> So you begin to back off and you come and you settle and seal in to the proper place. And I think that's the way it is with any church. When we begin to rightly divide as our church, uh, we begin to go a certain direction, you know. And as I found out, uh, you know, there's always extremes, right, in anything. And so you kind of, then you catch yourself and so you kind of back off some and you settle in, you seal in to what you believe to be the correct way. I want to talk about the Word of God and the Spirit of God being in the believer today. Very familiar verse, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21. Now to him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that worketh in us, to him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And the, the part I want to pull out is let there be glory in the church. And I think that's so important. Uh, you know, I've noticed that by only teaching the scriptures, it only creates uh, a lifeless, emotionless, spiritless service then. And... To me, there's a forgetting of praise and worship and excitement. 
And sometimes you're always at the letter, always teaching to such a point that we become old prudes and uh, we become to have an environment of truth without the joy of that truth. It states in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. Verse 8, he says this, How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? And we want there to be glory in the church. You need the Spirit to have that glory. Now the Lord is that Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Amen? You know, it's really not fair for a church to box people in from enjoying and praising the Lord. I don't think it's right to call worship and praising the Lord or lifting your hands up or saying amen uh, to say that's all of the flesh. And you have to be careful about that. Uh, it's not all of the flesh. And by the way, if it is a little bit, so what? We're emotional people. God gave us our emotions. And uh, many people are different. Carol, she's light and I'm darkness. <laughs> I don't know how God put us together. I've tried to figure that out. But, you know, in our worship, Carol, she's so quiet. But me, I'm a little bit, I'm an extrovert when it comes to worshiping. I, I want to praise the Lord. I want to say amen. I want to lift my hand. I want to do what I want to do. And, and how I feel God's working in my heart and spirit at that moment. You know, just like that last song. I said, a couple of songs. You know, I said, whoo. <laughs> I understand now why guys, why guys wear tennis shoes at church every now and then. They need to walk a little bit. We're so old around here, we can't run, so we say, be careful. Give them a cane. They can worship the Lord. Amen. But anyway, uh, we've allowed this throughout our history. Uh, we've given the educators and the elitists uh, the rule over us in a sense at times. And uh, they said, we're no longer content with the old-fashioned, archaic teaching and preaching as the final authority. I, I went to Tennessee Temple, and I've said on many occasions that uh, it's broken my heart in the sense that when I was there, it was a Bible school college, and then they went to university status. They wanted to be more academia uh, acceptable. They wanted it easier for the students to receive government assistance uh, from the government, and I understand those things, and they begin to focus then more on the formal education, and there was less emphasis placed upon the word and the spirit-filled personal education. Now, in anything, you need to always have balance. We understand that, but what they did, they began to somewhat back off from seeking the presence of God activated in your life and the word and the spirit-filled preaching. You know, even Jesus said this about our worship, John 4, 23, but the hour cometh and now is when the true worshipers shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. 
For the Father seeketh such to worship him. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. So there's a combination there. You need the truth, and you need the spirit. They go together. I remember when I first went to temple. Uh, I remember, it's hard to explain, uh, the sense of the presence of God in their services. And they would sing, and the roof about come off that place. And, uh, I mean, there were several thousand students. And, and uh, I mean, it was exciting. And uh, it was Christ-honoring. And it was, they did it in such a way that always, always honored the Lord. But after they went to university status, uh, that was after I left, I began to notice, because I tried to stay up with things going on, I began to notice that they began to do away with the amens and the praise God and the good old boys and things like that. They began to kind of put that and kind of go toward more of a formal type ceremony church service. And uh, I remember one time this black preacher visited. And uh, this black preacher, he was a great guy. And uh, he was a student's father, and they asked him to speak. And he began to speak, and finally he undid his collar. <laughs> and I said, here we go, amen. <laughs> he, be he began to preach, and he got loud. He got louder. <laughs> he got, I saw the man up there doing the controls. <laughs> He's trying to turn him down. And he, he didn't need a microphone. <laughs> and it was great. But it showed you the resistance. And the thing about that is, is that when they took away the, the Spirit's emphasis with truth, when they begin to take that away and not permit it, you begin to see them slide. And they slid. And they're not even in existence today. Tennessee Temple does not exist today because of their slide. And it breaks our hearts when we think about that. There are many reasons, I understand, but I understand that reason. We're not for fleshly, Pentecostal, unreal, showy, false emotionalism. I'm not talking about that. But we can never allow that or our pride to keep us from expressing the spirits moving in our lives. And when the word of God, the truth, is taught or preached, the spirit of God, he moves and he rises within us. Uh, I think of, uh, I'm in class at Tennessee Temple, and Dr. Bruce Lackey is teaching, great Bible teacher, and he's teaching about Matthew 25, 26, where two are in the field, one shall be taken, and one left behind. And I heard for years that's the rapture. And he says it's not the rapture. It's the same as days of Noah. The ones taken away are the sinners. They're the ones the flood took away. The eight were left. And I remember that truth got a hold of one of the guys in there. And he, he just yelled. I said, oh, my God, <laughs> in the classroom. I'll never forget it. Oh, we had a time. 
I remember we had this evangelist in class, and uh, it was evan- evangelism class, and uh, we had it, and this guy we really liked, he was on local TV, and he was preaching about the second coming of Christ. Boy, the guys were in there shouting. We were having a good time. And anyway, he ran over to the window, pulled the blinds. He said, I think I see him coming. <laughs> that place went wild. I mean, it went wild. And uh, I, I never forget afterward, the next, next to the, our class was an Old Testament teacher. They called him Stretch. And uh, I won't say his name. And he's about six, seven, big tall guy. He comes over and he has those glasses down on his nose. And he read us the right act because we were enjoying ourselves in the Lord. <laughs> and uh, that's awful when that happens, isn't it? It's always been a battle of the common people, believers, those who know real life, who from the beginning began when they got saved to seek God's presence in their life, they begin to love the word. They begin to express their praise. But somehow they, like many other people in the church, they kind of forget God in the sense, and they begin to forget his blessings. And somehow they begin to allow, once again, the elitists and the legalists and those people to begin to call the shots once again, the so-called experts, the more prepared scholars, to put in place their letter, their law, in how the church is to function. And all I'm saying is, is that in the process of that happening, the liberty of common believers is quenched. It holds them back if they want to say an amen, if they want to lift a hand, whatever it may be. And that's a sad part of it, I think. I took my son over to Bob Jones his freshman year, and they came out in Bob Jones and uh, had great academia there. And uh, they come out and had their velvet robes on with their velvet tassels, and sang, I don't know what they sang, but it was a dirge-like. And they sang, and you were there, and you sensed if you said amen, they would escort you out of that room. (laughs) That's the feeling uh, that you receive from that type of mentality. And uh, even today within Christendom, they're all telling us what to do, what the church should do. They come alone and they say, well, in order for the church to reach out, you need to be culturally relevant. And I've been there before in that situation. I understand that. Entertainment-oriented, purpose-driven, emergent. That just means you reevaluate your doctrine and then you get it to agree with society. And uh, then they, they do use the world's techniques Be seeker-friendly. That means you shouldn't be threatening. It's non-threatening teaching, preaching, socially and politically correct. Use secular wisdom in order to reconcile science and religion. 
And above all, do away with the King James Version Bible so as you won't seem to be so backwoodsy <laughs> in a sense. And to make sure that part of your platform is woke and critical race theory. That's what they're telling us today. But I also notice, even among good people within the grace movement, they say church is to be this way. And if you don't do it this way, then you're kind of an outcast. They don't look at you as being very, very accepted in their eyes or approved in their eyes. And so you have to come to the conclusion that you're going to be the church that you want to be and, you know, they can do their own thing and we can do our own thing. And I think that's the way God would have independent churches to do. Amen? And all of this removes, when you have all these people saying this is it, this is what you do and so on, all this removes the simplicity of our liberty in Christ. And all we want to do, we want to learn we want to seek to activate his presence that's already in us if we are saved and be able to praise him for who he is. Ephesians 4.30 says this here, And grieve not the Holy Spirit of God, whereby ye are sealed unto the day of redemption. And I think sometimes we grieve the Spirit because when he moves in us, we go, what's everybody else doing? Rather than doing what the Spirit of God is speaking to me in my heart. 1 Corinthians six nineteen. What, know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? When we got saved, he resurrected us to life, and he placed himself with inside of us. We're the vessels, of, uh, we're the treasure, in a sense, uh, because we have the treasure living inside of us. Now think about Romans 8, 11. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, and he does if you're saved, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. In other words, he's going to work in us and try to change our behavior, our lifestyle, what's right, what's wrong, and try to produce that in us so it'll be part of our everyday life. The Spirit of God moves in us. You know that, don't you? First of all, the Spirit works in our salvation, does he not? First Thessalonians 2.13, For this cause also thank we God without ceasing, because when you receive the word of God, which ye heard of us, ye received it not as the word of men, but as in truth the word of God, which effectually worketh also in you that believe. We're thankful that the word of God is to be part of our life, but we're also thankful it's the word that is used by the Spirit. Second Thessalonians says this here, but we are bound to give thanks always to God for you, brethren, beloved of the Lord, because God hath from the beginning chosen you to salvation. How? Through the sanctification, setting apart of the spirit and belief of the truth. He was involved in our salvation. 
you know, uh, the word and the spirit brings us to the conclusion that Jesus Christ and his work is enough to save us. We believe he died for our sins. We believe he was buried and took our sins far away. We believe that he rose from the grave for our justification. He's alive. And who he is and what he has accomplished is sufficient to wash away all of our sins and give us eternal life. All I need to do is believe that. And when I believe that, that's when I get saved. It was the word and the spirit working together that does that. I remember when I was saved, uh, you know, the the Bible says, uh, Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men into me. And I, I, I can't explain it. I'm sure you're, you were the same way. Something drew you to him. Something drew you to that service that day or your house, wherever it may have happened. But I remember I couldn't help but go to church that day. I can't explain it. I knew I had to be there. Carol was sick. She had been in the hospital. <coughs> Excuse me. And I went by myself. That was a miracle. And I, I, went, I knew I had to be there. And boy, when the invitation was given, I said as he was saying something, I said, I wish he would stop saying anything and give the invitation. I, I want to be saved. And I believed right in my seat there. Before I ever went forth, I was saved right there. But I was drawn by the Spirit of God. And if the Spirit didn't work in your salvation, you're not saved. It's the Spirit who does this. And then also the Spirit works in our assurance. I'm grateful. He confirms to me I am a child of God. Romans 8, 14. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. Then verse 16. The Spirit itself bear witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. He comforts us. I know I'm a child of God. He assures me of that in my mind, in my heart, in the Word. And the Word and the Spirit go hand in hand. 1 Peter 1.21 says this, Who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him his glory. And that's not the verse I wanted, but that's okay. But where it says that holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Holy Spirit, right? Then 2 Timothy 3.16, all scripture is given by inspiration of God, God the Holy Spirit, and it's profitable for doctrine and so on. So it's the Spirit of God that assures me, confirms to me, he reveals the word, do you believe that word, and he's working in me to trust that word to where I read a verse, in hope of eternal life, which God promised that cannot lie. And so he works in me. I I know I'm saved today. Do you know you're saved? If you were dying and you're dead, do you know where you go? And, you know, we just, we don't do that arrogantly or pridefully. We just say, I know it (laughs) because I believed. (laughs) And the Spirit of God's worked into me through the Word of God. And I have that assurance. And if you don't have that assurance, you need to be saved today. Don't walk out these doors not knowing Christ the Savior. If you'll believe in his finished work, he'll save you today. And then the Spirit works in our understanding. 
1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit. For the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. And then go on to verse 12 and 13. Now we have received not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit which is of God, that we might know the things that are freely given to us of God which things also we speak, not in the words which man's wisdom teacheth, but which the Holy Ghost teacheth, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. It's the word of God that works in our understanding, where we're reading the word, we're studying the word, and then it clicks, (laughs) right? The light bulb comes on. You begin to say, oh, I understand that now. And that's the Spirit of God using the Word of God. And then the Spirit works in conforming us. Philippians 2.12 Wherefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but how much more in my absence, work out your own salvation. And by the way, when he says that, they have salvation. He's saying bring it to its full potential, its full conclusion. Work that out with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you. And by the way, who's in you? God the Holy Spirit. It's God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Romans eight twenty nine, For whom he did foreknow, he also did predestinate to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that's what the Spirit of God is trying to do. He's working in us through the Word of God and His enlightening to, uh, enlightenment to us, I can't say it, to us so that eventually we might become more like Jesus Christ. He's the potter. We're the clay. Amen? And... Let me just say, when you got saved, he didn't put the Spirit in there, and then the Spirit doesn't do anything. Uh, The Spirit is working. He's involved in our life, every day of our life. He's involved. He's working. It states this in Colossians 1.28, whom we preach, warning every man and teaching every man in all wisdom that we may present every man perfect or mature, fully understanding, in Christ Jesus, whereunto I also labor, striving according to his working, which worketh in me mightily. He's working in us mightily. I'm glad I'm not the way I used to be. I'm not perfect. I still have problems. But thank God I'm nothing like I used to be. Now, a lot of you right here, and it's dependent upon how we yield to the Word and to the Spirit as He works within us, right? That determines our outward behavior and lifestyle and thought life and everything. Now, and then notice this, number five, the Spirit works within us. That's important. Galatians 5, 16 This I say then, walk in the Spirit, and you shall not fulfill the lust of the flesh. He has a way of protecting, guarding you. 
I wrote this down. I think it's good. Our victory behavior is determined by our inward relationship with the Word and the Holy Spirit. Now let me say that again. Our victory, our behavior is determined by our inward relationship with the Word and the Holy Spirit. God looks on the heart, and in most church circles, they're always looking at the outward rather than allowing God to work in the inward. Amen? When the Spirit is using the Word, and we're controlled by them, the Word and the Spirit, some things happen. We have a more sensitive conscience consciousness of sin you know David said my sin is you know I made myself right with God now since I'm right with God I'm so sensitive my conscience is always there about my sin that I've done and when you are walking in tune with the word and the spirit of God you become more conscious of sin so that you can avoid that sin. Or if you do wrong, he tries to back you up. Have you ever had inside of you, uh-uh. You ever have that? I've had that several times. Then I found out it was Carol. But I... <laughs> then we care more for other believers. You know, when you're in the word and the spirit's working in you and you're allowing that to happen, you come to a conclusion, it's not all about me. But how can I help others? Galatians 6, verse 1, Brethren, if a man be overtaken in a fault, gossip about him, talk about him, beat him half to death, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. Bear you one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And what is the law of Christ? It's called love. Amen? And so you're, you're more aware of other people and their needs. Something else happens. We have more faith when trials, heartaches, difficulties hit us. You see, when learning the truth, the word, and yielding to the spirit, he's moving in you, what happens is your faith arises. When you're full of the spirit and full of the, of, of the word of God in you, your faith likewise. And then when a problem comes, I don't say the sky is falling. I don't come apart because my faith is at such a level now that I can handle it. Not saying I like it, but I can handle it now because I know God's in charge. And he's going to help me through this situation. And then also we have more of a spirit that wants and desires to praise him. I believe with all my heart that when I'm in tune with the word of God and allowing the spirit to work in me and those working together inside of me, faith rises up. But also I believe my desire rises up that I want to thank him. I want to praise him. I, I want to be on fire for him. It states in Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, 
but be what? What does filled mean? means to be controlled, to be yielded to, to have him running the show as he runs it through him and the word. Amen? And then what happens when you're filled with the Spirit? The next verse says, speaking to yourselves, a church setting, in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your heart to the Lord. You can't help, when you're in tune with the Spirit and the Word, you can't help that you love Him. And you're grateful, you're thankful for who he is, what he's done, and what he's doing in your life that you want to praise him. That's a natural result. And then also we have more of an impact with the power of God. Notice 1 Thessalonians 1.5. For our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power. Why? And in the Holy Ghost. You see, as you yield to him and he's in control of you, you have a supernatural ability to do things you can't when you're carnal. Amen? 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my speech and my preaching was not enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power that your faith should not stand in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. We go back to Ephesians 3, 21, the first part of that verse, unto him be glory in the church. God liked to see some glory. Amen? And in that same context, it says, verse 8, unto me, who am less than the least of all saints, is this grace given, that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ, and to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the world hath been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and powers in heavenly places might be known, how? By the church of the man and the, the manifold wisdom of God. It's the church that preaches to principalities and powers about this great mystery program of grace that we have today. I've given this statement before, but I want to use it again here. The truth of God with the breath of God on the people of God who are controlled by God, ready to express worship to God, are the power and glory in the church. That's so true. I had a lady one time, friend, went to another church and she came by and she was doing an editorial and she said, could I interview you just for a brief moment? I want to mention it, Daily Journal back then. She says, what do you attribute 
to Emmanuel's growth at that time. And I thought, you know, we're running over 2,000, whatever. And she says, what do you, and at the moment, you know, you're, you ever have a brain fog? <laughs> they're, they're getting more frequent with me. But anyway, you know, but I, I just said, well, I really believe it was sovereign act of God. For some reason, he chose a group of people to bless, to honor them. I said, of course, we have a good staff. Uh, we have a lot of wonderful programs, and we love the Lord and the Word. Real simple. And later on, I, I thought about what I said to her. And what I began to realize was, wait a minute. We had two church services on Sunday morning. We prayed before the first church service. After that first church service, we'd meet again and pray for the second church service. And after the second church service, we'd go into the room and thank God for what he did in those church services and pray for the future. And then I realized we had a Thursday night thing where you could come into the back of the church and go down and sign up or whatever and pray for your church. And we'd have people go in and they would pray for their church. And in the reality of it all, I believe it's because there were a group of people who knew we needed God. His presence activated corporately as a church. And our church needed the breath of God. It needed a touch of God. And it needed to touch the people's hearts. He already indwelt them if they were saved. And I remember during that period of time, we had multiple of people join, come to the church. We had a number of people saved. My last service there, I preached, and uh, I think there were eight or nine people saved. My last service there, and I preached on hell. I gave them a goodbye gift. <laughs> And I, I, I'll never forget that, but, I, but it's the people coming together and seeking the face of God like we used to do when we first got saved. And we sought him, we learned about him, you put the word and the spirit together, and you praise him and worship him. And I think that if we as a church could begin to do that, I think you would see a real difference in our services, in what we hear, what we understand, what we learn, but also in the sense of what, how the Spirit works in our life and our heart and in the church's life. We need God to somehow breathe his life into us. We're becoming good, and I hate to say that. I'm not saying that in pride. But we have a number of people who are good at rightly dividing. They are learning the truth. And I praise God for that. We just need to have the spirit to kiss us, <laughs> in a sense, so that we show some life. And that's part of our journey. So I just wanted to share that this morning. 
If it didn't speak to you, that's okay. If it did speak to you, I hope you join me. I hope you start praying for your church that God does something and that he'll breathe on this church. We'll see people saved. We'll see people getting right. And we'll praise God. Father, we love you. Thank you for everything you do for us. Thank you for who you are. And it's because of who you are, that's why we want to worship you. Thank you for the folks that you have sent our way. Uh, we count it such a privilege to be able to be the pastor, to be the staff, uh, to be teachers, uh, to watch over their kids and their children spiritually, in a sense, to help them. And what a privilege we have. But, Lord, we know we can't do it on personal talent, personal ability. We have to do it with you breathing up on us. And so I just pray, God, that it's not too late for us. We can start this now. I believe that with all my heart. And I just believe, God, please, send Grace Point a true God-given revival. Let it begin with me. I need it. And I just pray that it would just show in the people's lives that something is happening here that God's involved in it. And we promise we'll give you the glory. In Jesus' name. And everybody said? We hope that you received a blessing from today's broadcast. We would love to have you to visit us in person. You can watch us live and view past services on our website at gpnd.net. For more information, please visit our website or contact us by phone. Until next week, may God richly bless you as our prayer.